0: Hey friends, M. Faring here. I am so glad you are joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope we are able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay friends, let's begin. Hey there! I'm so glad you're here joining me as we once again go back to the beginning, the beginning of the Bible anyway, to pick up where we left off in the last episode in Genesis. So, as I promised last time, we're going to backtrack to the creation account in chapter 1 and move forward in our study from there. We have so very much to cover once again in this episode, so let's just get right into it, shall we? No time for small talk here, my friends! <laughs> Since we read the creation account from chapter one out of the New Living Translation in episode six, I thought it would be fun to read from one of my most favorite children's storybook Bibles, the Jesus Storybook Bible, this time. In the beginning, there was nothing, nothing to hear, nothing to feel, nothing to see, only emptiness and darkness and nothing but nothing. But there was God, and God had a wonderful plan. I'll take this emptiness, God said, and I'll fill it up. Out of the darkness, I'm going to make light. And out of the nothing, I'm going to make everything. Like a mommy bird flutters her wings over her eggs to help her babies hatch, God hovered over the deep, silent darkness. He was making life happen. God spoke, that's all. And whatever he said, it happened. God said, Hello, light. And light shone into the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, Hello, sea. Hello, sky. And a great space opened up, wide and high and deep. You're good, God said. And they were. Then God said, Hello, land. And there, splashing up through the oceans, came cliffs, mountains, sandy beaches. You're good, God said. And they were. Hello, trees, God said. Hello, grass and flowers. And everything, everywhere burst into life. He made buds bud, shoots shoot, flowers flower. You're good, God said, and they were. Hello, stars, God said. Hello, sun. Hello, moon. And whizzing into the darkness came fiery globes spinning around and around, whirling orange and purple and golden planets. You're good, God said, and they were. Hello, birds, God said, and with a fluttering and flapping and chirping and singing, birds filled the skies. Hello, fish, God said, and with a darting and a dashing and a wriggling and a splashing, fish filled the seas. You're good, God said, and they were. Then God said, Hello, animals, and everyone came out to play. The earth was filled with noisy noises, growling and gobbling and snapping and snorting. You're good, God said, and they were. God saw all that he had made, and he loved them, and they were lovely because he loved them. But God saved the best for last, from the beginning. God had a shining dream in his heart. He would make people to share his forever happiness, They would be his children, and the world would be their perfect home. So God breathed life into Adam and Eve. When they opened their eyes, the first thing they ever saw was God's face. And when God saw them, he was like a new dad. You look like me, he said. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever made. God loved them with all of his heart. And they were lovely because he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined in the song of the stars and the streams and the wind and the trees, the wonderful song of love to the one who made them. Their hearts were filled with happiness and nothing ever made them sad or lonely or sick or afraid. God looked at everything he had made perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and the mountains and the oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. He would always move heaven and earth to be near them, always. Whatever happened, whatever it cost him, he would always love them. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. Isn't that such a beautiful retelling of creation? Though intended for children, I know my heart sure was touched. Okay, since we are already digging into a children's storybook Bible version here, how about we go ahead and now venture into a couple devotionals for kiddos from Louis Giglio to examine creation itself, as well as the amazing, intricate details found when taking a much closer look, well, in this instance, at the moon. Before we do, though, Let me just jump in here to say that children's Bibles and devotionals are often a great way to examine many of the big concepts of the Bible, such as, um, creation, anyone? (laughs) We are encouraged in scripture to have a childlike faith, and I have personally had quite a few aha moments while reading to my kiddos from various children's Bibles and devotionals over the years. This first excerpt is titled A Blank Page and can be found in indescribable 100 Devotions for Kids About God and Science by Louis Giglio. It reads, Every picture and story starts with a blank page, nothing on it, and it's yours to do anything with it. That's exactly what happened when God sat down, quote unquote, to create Earth, the universe and everything in it. He started with a blank page. Well, actually, there wasn't even a page, just darkness and nothing. And God, too, of course. Then he started to create, and it was exactly what he wanted planets spun into space, stars stretched upon the heavens, and galaxy upon galaxy swirled out into the universe. All throughout the universe, and here on Earth, God chose his creativity to be indescribably, incredibly amazing. Who else could think up a spotted, long necked giraffe? Who else could put the roar in a lion's mouth and the purr in a kitten's tummy? Who else could think up stick bugs, sloths, leafy sea dragons, or platypuses? God is infinitely creative. That means his creativity has no end. And God shows his creativity in you. You began as a blank page in his book, and he began writing your story before you were even born. It's going to be a great one. Don't believe it? Just check out some of the amazing stories he's already written for ordinary quote-unquote people, just like you. David knocking out Goliath. Daniel napping with lions and Esther saving her people. God's got an amazing story in the works for you. Just you wait and see. Please note, stay with me here, friends, as I do promise I'm going somewhere and we'll tie all this together in a bit. So in my research, I came across a message series from Passion City Church dated early January of 2018. Nothing is Ordinary is part of a message series called A Trip Around the Sun. And Pastor Louis shares this. Right now, at this moment, the Earth with you on it is spinning on its axis at close to 1,000 miles an hour. Today alone, you will travel over a million miles while screaming through space at 67,000 miles an hour. This year, filled with celebrations, holidays, work weeks and weekends, birthdays, graduations, good times and hard times, you will travel 584 million miles around the sun. You can go on and on down the list. Nothing is ordinary about our planet or our lives. We are living in a very privileged place and we are a very privileged people because we don't just live on a special planet. We know the God who actually created the planet that we live on. The psalmist said, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So good news, we're going on a trip around the sun. But better news, we're going with the God who made the sun on our trip around the sun. So there's not going to be one thing that happens to you or comes your way on this journey that you're not going to be able to handle because nothing in life is ordinary, including our traveling companion, who just happens to be God Almighty, who's on the trip with you and me as we circle around the sun. Wow. I don't know about you, but all this talk of majesty and detail found in creation has me awestruck in the best of ways. And to be reminded that God is not only helping to write on my life's blank pages to fulfill his purposes, just as he did in creation and in the lives of so many who've come before me, but that he is also on this extraordinary journey with me, when put together, it is simply breathtaking to consider all this. Let me pause here to say sorry, not sorry right now for once again, digging into yet another of Giglio's resources in our discussion of creation, his passion for all things related to the greatness of the universe and his desire to share all his scientific knowledge of our God who created it all, while also reminding us of our God's tenderness to each one of us in all of our smallness. Well, it just speaks to my heart so much and my mind as well that I just have to share it with you. And... All the links are, of course, found in the show notes, should you want to dig deeper for yourself and all the little ones in your life as well. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, though, this devotion titled There's a Moon Out Tonight is found in How Great Is Our God? 100 Indescribable Devotions About God and Science by, you guessed it, Louis Giglio. Side note. Okay. Okay. For real, though, do those two book titles sound at all familiar? I am so hoping you're picking up on these titles and reminded of the message and worship songs of the same name that I referenced in the last episode. If not, please, please, please go back and find those for a listen. I am always humbled when I hear them. Definitely puts me in my place in relation to the enormity of the universe in the best sort of way. Okay, let me read this one to you. This devotional begins with Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. The moon is more than just a big dusty rock hanging up there in the sky. It gives us ocean waves and 24-hour days. It keeps us from being too hot or too cold. And it makes sure we have just the right amount of sun. How? Gravity. The moon has gravity. It's not as strong as the Earth's, but it does pull on the Earth. It creates tides, which are the rise and fall of the oceans that happen each day. The moon's gravity also slows down the Earth's spin so that our days are 24 hours long, instead of only about 6. Imagine, if days were 6 hours long, a year would be more than a 1,000 days. That's a lot of extra school days. The moon's pull also keeps the Earth tilted in space at a perfect 23.5 degrees. Without the moon, the Earth might sit straight up and we'd hardly ever see the sun. Or it might lay on its side like Uranus does. Then we'd have 42 years of sunlight followed by 42 years of darkness. Without the moon, life on earth would be very different. In fact, there might not even be life at all. None of this happened by accident. God placed the moon in just the right spot to give us perfect conditions for life. All the pieces of God's creation work together just the way he created them to. It is also interesting to make note that God as Creator is not only found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, but it is also found in chapters 40 through 48 in the book of Isaiah. Here's a sample from Isaiah chapter 40 beginning with verse 12 in the New Living Translation. The Lord has no equal. Who else has held the oceans in His hand? Who has measured off the heavens with His fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to devise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. And then let's pick up again in verse 26 of chapter 40 in Isaiah, this time in the New International Version. It reads, To whom will you compare me? For who is my equal? says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I don't know about you, my friends, but I am so humbled and awestruck when I read verses like these that remind us that our God is almighty, majestic, and all powerful, and yet he chooses to care for each one of us personally. Oh, gracious. In chapter 1, verse 26, when God first said, Let us make mankind in our image, he is referencing the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in the act of creation. It is important to note here that Jesus doesn't just show up on the scene when he's born in the manger in the New Testament. Before God the Son took the name Jesus, he lived in heaven with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's been here all along. In fact, we'll see a lot of him in the Old Testament. As you probably know by now, one of my goals in this podcast is for us to continually be on the lookout for him on these pages. I love detective work, which might be evidenced by my keep watching menu on Netflix and Hulu, all the law and orders and FBI's, just to name a few. Well, you get the idea, right? (laughs) I certainly hope you love some good old detective work too, my friends, because this is going to be fun. The New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible Footnote for chapter 1, verse 26, describes what's going on here in this way. Why does God use the plural form, let us make human beings in our image? This is believed to be in reference to the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus Christ his Son, and the Holy Spirit. From Genesis 1-2, when we were told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, along with Job 33-4, which reads, for the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life we do know that god's spirit was present in the creation from colossians 1:16 we know that christ god's son was also at work in the creation this scripture says that through jesus god made the world paul wrote in colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 christ is a visible image of the invisible god he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation for through him god created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. The Jesus Bible speaks of this truth by saying, understanding that Jesus created everything changes how one views the whole of scripture. Paul writes here in Colossians 1 that all things were created by, through, and for Jesus. John makes a similar claim at the outset of his gospel. This book was written in Greek to a largely Greco-Roman audience. The Greeks believed that there was a unifying force that holds the entire world together. They defined that force as the Logos. The Gospel of John defines the Logos as Jesus. John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 say, In the beginning was the Word, or Logos, and the Word, Logos, was with God, and the Word, Logos, was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word of God, the very agent God used to create all things, took on flesh and made his dwelling on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. So, can I just interject a quick thought here, friends? As we discussed in episode two, do you see how knowing the context and audience of the books of the Bible we are setting in is helping us even now? As we see this amazing truth that we might have otherwise missed in the book of John. Okay, this PSA is now over. Back to your regularly scheduled programming, um... I mean, study note. (laughs) John and Paul affirmed this is the agent of creation, the eternal word of God, who was used by God to make something out of nothing. Understanding that Jesus created everything and holds everything together should shape how we read the whole of scripture. Jesus does not make his first appearance in the book of Matthew. Does this sound familiar, friends? Maybe just a little bit. The Trinity is on display from the outset of the scriptures, and in many ways, the various stories found throughout the Old Testament help explain the nature, character, and work of Jesus Christ. Time and again, God sets the stage for the sending of His Son to fulfill His eternal plan to save those who were dead in their sins. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we read that God created us, each one of us, to bear His image, and He has not changed His mind about our role in this plan. My study note found it here in the Jesus Bible reads, Why did God create the world? The short answer that resounds to the whole Bible like rolling thunder is this, God created the world for his glory. When the first chapter of the Bible said, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God who created them, male and female he created them, as found in Genesis one twenty What is the point? The point of an image is to image. Images are erected in public to display the original point to the original, glorify the original. God made humans in his image so that the world would be filled with reflectors of God, images of God, so that nobody would miss the point of creation. Nobody, unless they were spiritually blind, of course, could miss the point of humanity, namely God, knowing, loving, showing God. The angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, as found in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. It's full of human image bearers, but not only humans, also nature. Why such a breathtaking world for us to live in? Why such a vast universe? Scientists now say that there are more stars in the universe than there are words and sounds that all humans of all time have ever spoken. Why is it so gigantic? The Bible is crystal clear about this. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19, verse 1. If someone asks, If Earth is the only inhabited planet in the universe and man, the only rational inhabitant among the stars, why is there such a large and empty universe? The answer is, it's not about us. It's about God, which means it's not an overstatement. It's actually an understatement. God created us to know him and love him and show him. And then he gave us a hint of what he is like, the universe. So I must take a moment to ask here, my friends, are you beginning to see how all of this is fitting together? God spoke. Creation, majesty, vastness, grandeur, breath of God, life, created in God's image for God's purpose with a God-created mission in the world. Another message in the a Trip Around the Sun series from Passion City Church titled Amazingly Small may help pull all of this together for us by saying it this way. We are amazingly small yet undeniably significant. Need proof? Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens are telling us of the glory of God. In other words, the God who made you and made the world and put all of us in it. He purposely put us in an oversized universe that would be a billboard for his greatness so that none of us would run the risk of having the lagging effect of sin shrink our lives down to something far less grand than God had in mind. So he put us in a universe that tells us every single day how amazing he is. The sheer size of our sun. An average star in an average galaxy is evidence enough of our smallness. In comparison, the fact that the one who breathed out that very star chose to give his life on the cross is overwhelmingly a confirmation that we are significant in the eyes of Almighty God. As we continue our journey around the sun, we can take comfort in our smallness, in our significance, and in the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for each of us to worship him in all of his wonder. All of this is so humbling, yet so encouraging at the same time. Am I right, my friends? Given the fact I have so very much I want to share with you this episode and that my research brain just won't quit finding more and more tangents, plus resources that help explain them, I did tell you, right, that I have a deep-seated love for all things research, especially as it relates to the scriptures. (laughs) Anyway, with that in mind, I will save us a few minutes in this episode by not reading Genesis 2 out loud to you here. But if you have not done so already, please press pause now and go read it for yourself. I'll wait for you here. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) As we dive into this chapter, when thinking of rest, as referenced in Genesis verses 2 and 3, I often think of Rebecca Lyons' rhythms of renewal book and Bible study I worked through a couple years ago in life group. I so resonate with her words here. I have never been great at rest. I'm as overworked, overstimulated, and overextended as the next person. There are demands in my life, and it can be hard to slow down. This nonstop pace leads to more stress and more anxiety. If I've discovered anything over the years, it's this. My anxiety spins back up when I'm not resting. We are restless when we rest less. We weren't created for this nonstop pace. We were designed in God's image, and even God himself rested. As recorded in Genesis, after creating the world, God set aside the seventh day to rest. In Genesis 2, the Bible states, On the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Rest precedes blessing. We don't have to run to earn rest. We run fueled by a posture of rest. God meant for all of our work to culminate in a holy, blessed rest. Rest meant to help us reconnect with him. He intended for us to live fruitful lives, to have hearts full of peace. We live in a society that is overstressed, anxious, and burned out. What is the remedy? Rest. God blessed rest. Oh, friends. After reading this, I am reminded of Jesus' invitation when life feels too much, as found in the book of Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Let's examine this one in a couple different Bible translations to try to hear exactly what Jesus is offering to us in these words. The New Living Translation says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The Message Paraphrase Version says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I have heard it said that when Jesus promises us rest, as mentioned here in Matthew 11:28, 28, he is talking about something called soul rest. I understand this term as having several meanings, such as resting in the provision and goodness of God to me, resting in an understanding of our quote unquote enoughness in Christ without striving, performing, or anything else we try to do to prove ourselves worthy. As being loved, chosen, and worthy, today, right now, no matter how much I do or don't do, soul rest is also realigning my focus by remembering that God can do anything and then stepping back and letting Him. For me to try to stop doing the work of God without God. Any of this resonating with you too? Am I preaching to anyone besides myself here? Oh, my friend, this rest, if I can ever truly and completely get there—is just has to be life-changing for all of us not only for the type A perfectionist person I tend to revert back to more often than not, Gracious M. Truthfully, this is probably why all the ways we try to rest don't actually make us feel very rested. TV, sleep, surfing social media, and so on. Maybe these don't cut it because nothing but Jesus can truly help us to rest from our chaotic heart, mind, and lives even. Have you found that many of those ways I mentioned above that we try to use to rest actually make us feel more restless? Cause us to rest less? Surfing on Facebook or Instagram can quickly make us angry over someone's post or send us down a rabbit trail of comparing our lives to the lives of our friends. Binge watching a show on Netflix can help us escape for a moment, but it also distracts us from connecting with our real life people and getting our real life tasks done. It is time we can't get back in life, and deep down we know it. Even taking a vacation can become chaotic with all the plans and preparations and possibly unmet expectations as well. So as a way of developing this idea of rest a bit more, take a listen to Rebecca's written words from the introduction of the Rhythms for Renewal Bible Study. Who needs a nap? Who needs a day off? Who needs to slow down and take a deep breath? The truth is, we all do. God made us for hard work and meaningful engagement, no question. But God also created us with a need for rest, refreshment, and moments when our souls are recharged and renewed. Rest is so central to the human experience that Jesus built in a rhythm of rest into the days, weeks, months, and years of his life. Our Savior slipped away from the crowds and demands and found quiet time with his Father. Ponder that reality for a moment. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. He was perfect God and perfect man, yet he still made rest a cornerstone of his life. It was a priority. Where did our Lord learn this sacred rhythm? He learned it from his Father. As God was creating the heavens and the earth, after six days of glorious, epic, artistic work, he rested. The infinite Yahweh took the day off. The Almighty ceased his labor. The creator of you and me showed his children how to live. Let's follow his example and make rest part of our lives. Resting and establishing a rhythm of refreshment is not about weakness. It's about being more like Jesus. It's about honoring our Creator. Rest is about living with wisdom, learning from our Father, and walking in the footsteps of our Savior. Wow. Just wow. Truthfully, as I mentioned earlier, I am very, very much still a work in progress when it comes to rest in my life. But I am encouraged to think on this thought. Jesus was God in human flesh, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and he still rested. If Jesus made room in his life for rest, how much more should I? Should we? Our times of rest, especially actual soul rest, refresh us for truly showing up in meaningful ways in our own lives and in times of service to others. That sounds pretty important to me, friends. Moving on in Genesis chapter two, I don't know if you happen to notice or not, but if you look closely at verse four, you will see the word LORD is in all caps. Believe it or not, there is a specific reason for this. The Bible recap describes what is happening here in this way. In two four, the word LORD is in all caps. This is different from when we see the word spelled capital L LORD or all lowercase letters LORD. All lowercase LORD can refer to anyone who is in charge, like your landlord. When it is capitalized as LORD, it means Adonai, the Hebrew word for master, which is a proper name of God, not just a general term. When you see the all caps LORD, It represents an ancient Hebrew spelling at Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, all capital letters. It has no vowels, so when we try to pronounce it, it sounds like Yahweh or Jehovah. This is God's name. By telling us His name, He is showing us right out of the gate that He wants to be personal with His creation. He's not setting Himself apart as one not to be known or spoken to. He tells mankind His name. Despite that, it doesn't bring Him to our level. Yahweh is still Lord, Master, after all. A study note in the NIV Study Bible further develops this concept of the all-caps version of Lord by stating, Its usage conveys the thought that God is ever-present with His people to save, help, deliver, redeem, bless, and keep His promises. He is a God who personally reveals Himself through His word and mighty actions. This name became a special designation which emphasized God's relationship to the nation of Israel. The Jews held this name as sacred and would not even speak it out loud. It is also valuable to be aware that an abbreviated form of Yahweh is found in the Hebrew name Joshua and in the Greek name Jesus, both meaning the Lord Yahweh saves. How amazing to realize that the meaning and importance of the word Lord is impacted so much from all caps to lowercase to every variation in between. Just one more example of how God is a God of details for sure. When looking more closely at chapter 2 verse 17, The Bible recap book discusses something that one might miss in just a general reading of the scripture. I know I sure did. (laughs) It says, Later we will see the fall of mankind and the sin of Adam and Eve. Because God is sovereign and isn't confined to time, nothing surprises him. Their sin doesn't thwart his plan. His plan accounted for their sin. In 2.17, he tells them, In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. He didn't say if, he said when. It implies certainty. The rest of scripture supports this, letting us know that God wasn't relegated to plan B after they ate of the fruit. It was always plan A. Just for comparison's sake here in a couple other translations, verse 17 is worded in this way. In the NIV or New International Version, it says, for when you eat from it. And the Christian Standard Version or the CSV says, for on the day you eat from it. So as a side note, can I just say here how stinking excited I am for us to study much, much more of God's plan A in the next episode when we read through Genesis chapter 3? I can't wait. Well, friends, I must confess that I believe we are beginning to see a pattern develop here, and I can't say I am sorry or at all sad about it. I am discovering so much goodness and insights in my studies that I want to share with you that I have once again run out of time before reaching the end of sharing all I wanted to share about Genesis chapter 2, more specifically about Adam and Eve. Before we look at the fall in chapter 3 in the next episode, I want to first take a deeper dive into both verse 7, which reads, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. And also the last verse from chapter two. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. We just absolutely cannot pass by without further development of Adam and Eve. So I will be sure to begin with a bit more framework in our next study time together. I don't know about all of you, but I am certainly having a lot of fun and learning so many new things as we are digging into the book of Genesis together. Now, as always... Please keep in mind that this show is scheduled to release every other Wednesday, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Could I ask you all a favor? If you have three seconds to spare, I would absolutely love for you to rate this podcast on the platform where you listen. That really helps others to find this podcast, which will help as many people as possible dig into scripture along with us together. Of course, a five-star rating is my favorite. (laughs) And if you want to leave a review as well, well, I would love that too. If for some reason your platform doesn't allow you to rate and review, feel free to leave those ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. It always encourages me to go read these and see how much God is using this in your lives. You have my sincerest thanks in advance, my Bible study friends. If you are curious about digging deeper into any of the things we talked about today, be sure to check out the show notes by swiping up on your podcast app screen to see them below. But if you can't find them there, They're always available at mfaring.com in the show notes plus words section of the podcast pages. And please be sure to go find these notes for this episode because I've included a bonus for you. A few questions for some additional deep dive study and application. This is M Faring and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friends.